I always want my students to understand both perspectives. Like, I need to get back to that school and make it a safe place for kids to learn. They will make sure we will never forget the good about what all of our cultures share together. We can't have an industrialized set of standards for students. We need to keep teaching them on their own inquiry level. Hey, you are listening to the What School Could Be in Hawaii podcast. Here's your host, Josh Rapoon. Hi, everybody. Today, we're going to be talking with Melissa Speechens. Did I say that correctly? That's correct. Okay, awesome. Melissa is the principal at Waimea Canyon Middle School on the island of Kauai, which arguably, uh, if I have my geography right, might be the westernmost school in the United States. Westernmost middle school. Middle school. I have an elementary that feeds into me that's Three miles down the road. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you're not, not quite on that edge. It, yeah. Yes. Okay. Very cool. Okay. Well, welcome and thank, thank you for you. being with us today. Thank you. So let's start with the 30 to 60 second bio. This is your chance oh. to tell us who you are. Um, and you can definitely start, uh, you know, a little closer to today. You don't have to go all the way back. Um, but yeah, who are you and where are you from and what's your journey? Wow, okay. Um, I am uh, born in Kentucky, raised in Virginia, went to high school in Mississippi, and went to college first at UCLA in California. Cool. Kind of continuously heading west because I've been in Kauai now for almost 40 years, wow. which is home. Okay. Raised both my children in Kauai. They both have their own careers now. And um, my original career was accounting. And through the help of my elementary school principal where my children went, she convinced me to go into teaching because I just spent so much time at the school wow, anyway. really? Yeah. Yeah. So a big reversal and one that I'm so glad I took the step. Very cool. So glad. Talk to us a little bit about um, your graduate work. Okay. Um, I actually got my teaching credential in a college called Goddard College in Vermont. And they had a program with the um, state of Hawaii at the time that you could do distance learning and you went to Vermont three times during the year. And my advisor was from Canada. It was um, a constructivist school. The main teaching, the first book you got was, here, read John Dewey and understand it. And it made such a huge impact on my life. And how education could be. Mm -hmm. And then um, part of graduation from Goddard was, and this is now in 1998, okay, so this is like ancient history, I know, but um, part of it was that you did not get a GPA, you did not get grades at Goddard, instead you defended your work. And my defense project was on gifted and talented students. So um, you got a pass or a fail, and I passed. The little bit of the glitch happened when I went to go get a master's in administration the University of Hawaii, and they kind of go, um, "Wow, where's your GPA? How did you work through that moment? With Goddard communicating with them and saying, yes, she passed, and you need to recognize that and accept that. And that mm-hmm. was probably 2005. So did, I'm curious, did it change the way that you approached the studies that you were working on knowing that you weren't working towards a GPA? 100% because now I'm not taking tests. I'm not thinking I need to have these facts to pass the test, right? Instead, I had to demonstrate my learning. Right. So I really had to learn and understand. And it's just the continuous feedback from my mentor in Canada. And then the in-person ones also just was life-changing as far as my view of education. Very cool. Very yeah. cool. So 
What does it actually mean to have a master's in education administration? For all of our listeners oh out there, okay. what is that? What is that actually? <laughs> we throw that out there, right? Like I have a master's right. in in ed administration. What right. does that mean? So, in order to um, go into administration, go from the teacher side or, or or curriculum side into the administration side in the state of Hawaii, you attend something called a boot camp, two continuous okay. weeks. And then you take a certain number of classes so that you get, say, Hawaii law and education. You get finance, all the pieces. And then my um, friend was going through at the same time, and I decided to go for the master's because in the mainland, at least, master's is a step into being in administration. Not so here in Hawaii. You need those six um, credit classes. So how did your how did your master's work, your graduate work, um inform your goals, your process, um, how you go about doing the work that you do today? How did, how did it shape that? I would say more the opportunities offered since the master's were, were um, more influencing in how I look at administration. Did the master's open doors to those opportunities? or um, it, it did in the sense that it, give, it gave you the sense that you need a balcony view when you become an administrator. Mm-hmm. You can't, okay. I was very much, I loved my classroom. I, I loved my students. But all of a sudden when you step into an administrator's role, you need to look at the whole picture with the individual pieces as well, right? Mm-hmm. They talked a lot about shared leadership, which influenced my current practice a lot. And then they also brought up the, the series of, right, rigor, relevancy, and relationships. And I, as an administrator now, thought, no, 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 you taught me this wrong. It should be relationships, relevancy, and then mm-hmm. the rigor happens. Generally, do you encourage educators to follow a graduate school path, to go further? Talk to us about that. (laughs) So I believe we're constant learners, Hmm. right? Not only the students at my school, but the whole community are learners. So whatever path my teachers want to take, I try to really encourage and and have them tell me more about what their interests are and how they can incorporate that back into the classroom. So if an educator approaches you um, on your campus at Waimea Canyon Middle, um, what's that conversation like? if they're thinking about doing graduate work. I know it must be a little bit of a trade-off because you might be losing them for for some time, or how, how does that work? So there's a, uh, it's nice because there's a lot of distance programs now, mm. right, being opened up, especially with um, University of Hawaii. So there's distance programs where they can teach at my school full-time but also do the graduate work. Right. I mean, there's always the, the piece that you're getting fabulous new uh, education, you're working at a collegiate level, right, I'm in middle school. Um, there's always the worry, though, that, that can you handle the classroom, and that additional piece, right? Right. Okay. So, Melissa, I was working through your bio in mm-hmm. anticipation of this conversation, and you um, underscored with, with no, no doubt at all um, that you were passionate about middle school. So my question is, why? You just kind of feel it as a teacher. I don't know how to describe it other than you just know. So um, I taught elementary loved the children, mm-hmm. um, but all of a sudden when the new middle school opens up on Kauai, I just know that I want to be with 6th, 7th, and 8th graders. Um, that is the first question I interview on an interview with myself to become a teacher in my community. That's the first question. Why in the world do you ever want to do middle? Middle school is transitional. 
they're not cute elementary and they're not driven high school towards a, a bigger goal of maybe college or career. It's the biggest transitional phase in a student's life. They're going to be happy one day, crying the next. It's, it's a certain type of teacher that has to tell me they have the passion for middle school. Is and in sense, are we then middle school? I'm just a bit, kind of always struggling with that myself. Am I still in middle school? Yeah. <laughs> so, so actually, I was going to ask you about that. Is there something that goes back into your growing up, your childhood, your, your adulthood, that informs your, your passion for middle school students? So that's an interesting question because often during uh, like Teacher Appreciation Day, you ask your teacher, so who was the person, who was that teacher who made the influence in your life to maybe go into teaching or inspired you the most? And hands down, my middle school teachers always have found someone in middle school. Right. right, that made that huge difference. And that's for myself also as my science teacher in Virginia who told me, you know what, you could be the first woman astronaut. And we're talking about in the 60s where that was not even talked about yet, right? That's super interesting. When I was in, I had a completely different experience in oh. middle school. Uh, middle school was hard for me. I had, in fact, I have two memories, very clear. One was a teacher who forced me into a spelling bee, and I was a terrible speller. And in fact, I was the first person in the entire seventh grade to be eliminated because I couldn't spell the word helmet. And as you can tell, low these 45 years later, I'm still chawing on that a little bit. Um, and the other was um, a, a middle school teacher who told me that I couldn't write. And that was the only comment at the top of my paper. So... That was tough for me. So do, do you imagine that, that being an educator in the middle school, that, that this is an opportunity for you to affirm a child rather than to position them as a deficit that needs to be corrected? I would not limit that to middle school. I think from K-12 and beyond, we need to keep affirming not only students, but ourselves as learners also. So... Um, 100%, right? You always want appreciations, no put-downs, right? We're a tribe school. So you always want to see the value of what they're doing. And if you don't understand as a facilitator or an educator, you need to ask the student, so tell me how you solve that or what were you thinking or help me understand. Right. After a break, we'll come back and talk to Melissa more about her interest in John Dewey and in constructivism. Oh. And so stay with us, gang. We'll be back in just a second. By now, you should be feeling pretty inspired by this podcast and maybe even wondering what steps you might take to become more innovative in your own practice. The Schools of the Future Conference taking place October 2nd through 4th is the perfect place to connect with and be inspired by education innovators like the ones featured in this podcast. Now in its 11th year, the conference is innovative by design and is co-produced by the Hawaii Department of Education, the Hawaii Association of Independent Schools, Pillars of Peace at the Hawaii Community Foundation, and the Hawaii Society for Technology and Education. To learn more about the Schools of the Future Conference and to register, visit www.sotfconf.org. Registration will remain open throughout the three-day conference. Hope to see you there. (music) 
So we're back with Melissa Speechens of Waimea Canyon Middle School. Melissa, you, um, in, when you sent your bio to me, you listed a favorite quote from John Dewey. Mm-hmm. And that quote is, if we teach today's students as we did yesterday's, we rob them of tomorrow. Can you talk a little bit about that quote? Um, not only about the quote, but about John Dewey, about constructivism, and just knowing that our listeners are, are trying to understand what this new idea is if they've never heard it before. So a hundred years ago, there was this magnificent person called John Dewey who was saying, no, we're not doing, we, we can't have an industrialized set of standards for students. We need to keep teaching them on their own inquiry level. So constructivism takes it of the point of view of the child will learn and inquire when they're ready to learn and inquire. Um, My co-teacher and I, when we were teachers in middle school, actually did a constructivist project with the University of Illinois in which we co-shared science and math and we taught together. And the students continuously streamed between us. So I was a science and a math teacher as well as my um, friend Kathleen, and that was by far the best teaching experience I ever had and valued the fact that I have to let my teachers talk to each other. We have to chunk out that time because collaboration is so important. Can you give us a couple of specific examples on your campus now, this year, Mm -hmm. um, that illustrate for our listeners this constructivist approach? I wish we were more. Um, Right now, we do something called 20% time. So 20% of our students Work week, which is their school week, is devoted to Genius Hour or Unique Inquiry. Um, right now, we're doing six weeks of design thinking. And I had a teacher this summer put together the curriculum. So it's uniquely our curriculum. After these six weeks, they're going to scramble into either a pilot, which is True Genius Hour, or they're going to go into their first choice of one of the United Nations Global Goals and end with um, an cool. exhibition of their learning. We're going we're gonna to dive into 20% time okay. a little bit deeper um, in a few minutes, um, but I want to come back to, um, to your campus, and I'm going to provide just a little bit of context okay. here first. Um, we have a quote-unquote relatively new superintendent here in Hawaii. Her name is Christina Kishimoto. Um, She came from Arizona and from Connecticut before that. She's been two years on the job now. Um, And you noted to me in in your bio that um, she opened a conference on July 19th of this year, 2019, uh, by talking about three schools. And your school was one of them. Um, Why did she pick your school? And what did she talk about? And what did this moment mean to you? First of all, I was shocked because there was no preview that this was going to happen. So you're sitting at the conference, opening day conferences, and all of a sudden, your school's there. I'm like breathtaking away, right? What what was the conference? Um, It's the LE conference, which is the opening day of all the administrators in the state of Hawaii. So we all fly over to Oahu and meet at the convention center. And she kicks off her school year. Okay. So there were three schools highlighted for school design, and mine was one of them. And what really... I know that Dr. Kishimoto understood because there was not any slides of teachers or adults. It was all about the students up there. And I think it ended with a quote from one of my seventh graders who was quoting about 20% time, how mixing sixth, seventh, and eighth graders together to collaborate was um, more innovative and opened up more ideas. And then the student ends. It's just fun. 
And I think that was just such a great way to introduce my school to any other schools. Where were you when that happened? We were at the, our, the Kauai table. So they could, people kind of sit by their island oh, okay. table. We were at the Kauai table, and my vice principal's beside me. And my um, one of, of uh, an elementary school from Kauai is beside me, and she, like, goes, I videotaped it. <laughs> <laughs> my vice principal and I are like, oh, my goodness, right? We were overwhelmed. So Dr. Kishimoto's actually visited your campus uh, more than once, I think. She has. What, yes. what was that like to have the superintendent come on board? It was reaffirming. I'm I'm very um, happy that the current superintendent is recognizing that her schools are unique in the state of Hawaii, and what works for my community and my school may not be the same as the other middle schools on Kauai or on any other island, right? So um, she's also offering opportunities for innovation grants, which changed our school as far as professional development and spaces that we can work in, so inspiring spaces. And just the freedom that um, is that I can do something like a twenty percent, and I'm being recognized for that because she's interested right. in innovation, and I think ultimately what's best for students. We'll come back to the innovation grant okay. in a second. So okay. I just want to talk a little bit about the Hawaii Innovative Leaders oh. Network. Um, can you describe for our listeners what is that, and what was your participation in it? It's the best professional development a leader can ever participate in. Wow, that's saying a lot. (laughs) It's it's a grouping of principals. You apply, right? It's a grouping of principals who get together and look at how you can individually um, build and mold innovation at your school. Mm -hmm. So it's very personalized, but you have an opportunity to work with other administrators in the state of Hawaii from charter to public, and I think my first round had even private, to to collaborate and talk and give ideas and validate. Very often when there's innovation, it goes to a teacher level, right? Right. This focused on the leadership and how to create the culture and how to how to create the parameters and the collaboration time. I've been thinking a lot about coaching, and it sounds like there's a lot of coaching going on. Um, is that true? Is that is that kind of what happens in the, the leader HILN, that, that you guys are coaching each other? Definitely, definitely. Um, I'm working with an amazing uh, um, partner who helped a lot on Kauai. She was an SRS, Lisa Morales, who mm-hmm. works for PBL Works now. Right. She, was, um, she went off to work with them, but just that coaching on my island and just coaching and seeing that group of people and having that network um, made the biggest difference. Once again, the best professional development I've ever done. Mm-hmm. And I'm lucky enough to now have my vice principal in the second round. And um, with the aim of building sustainability and capacity at so my school. I think that when people think of coaching, maybe stereotypically they think of the the football or the basketball or the baseball coach who's who's sort of out there shouting and, and trying to make people do certain things what, what is good coaching in the context of education and educators and education leaders? So turn it around to where it's not the game. Coaches are amazing teachers because they're constantly giving formatives, right? More so in practice probably than in actual game, right? right. So they're constantly saying, no, turn your foot this way, do this, do this. Mm. And it's positive, right? And mm. you're getting these little formative steps along the way. So that's what happened with when you do um, principals getting together or leaders getting together. Just that... that do you think of this or tell me more about your project kind of 
coaching helps, mm-hmm. right? And I've actually developed then for my own teachers, uh, a teacher on campus called our Deeper Learning Coach as a result of him. And who's your Deeper Learning Coach, coach uh, and, and what does he or she do? She's dynamic. It's Serena Cox. Cool. She's um, has an amazing, heavy Southern accent, which just, I think, mesmerizes the Where staff. Where is she from? She's from um, South Carolina. Cool. And um, she's there to help. She's there to guide. She's there to answer questions. She's there to model if you're stuck on a process. She's, she has open labs where teachers can just come and talk. And mm-hmm. she's amazing. She's definitely my right hand. So yeah. let, let's go back for a second to the innovation grant. Okay. You mentioned that, and, and I gather that you were awarded an innovation okay. grant. So can you talk a little bit about the program and what was your aim going into the application for the grant? Okay. And how did, it, how did it turn out? So I'm a very small school on Kauai, so we're constantly trying to look for funding, right? Um, all of a sudden, there's a very short time window from like November to January to put together an innovation grant. There's all this money released by the, the um, state of Hawaii and Dr. Kishimoto. So I pulled district resources and we wrote a grant and it was accepted, which was amazing. How much was it for? 156,000. Wow. Which doesn't wow. sound like a lot to a big school, but for a school of 500, it's, it's life-changing. That's huge. That's <laughs> really. huge. So a large portion of the grant was to work with Janice Cruz, Janice Group on Innovation mm-hmm. and Future Ready. Um, a lot of that included design thinking training. And then the, a, large, a larger chunk was devoted to changing our spaces. Did you already have the 20% time on your mind at, the, at that point yes. when you were writing for the grant? Yes. Okay. And that was the main focus of the grant. And what were you thinking about that at that point in time? So prior to that, we did um, a week of innovation where we shut down the classes the last week of school, and they did uh, a PBL project. Then the following year, we did Design Thinking Week, and we just knew by these are small little steps towards moving towards larger and larger PBL, right? So that gave us um, the go-ahead to do an actual 20%. It gave my staff the confidence to move forward because there was a lot of time for, for, for professional development and collaboration. Okay. With experts, right? Got it. Got Sometimes it. it's nice to have someone outside the school. Yeah. Right? Come right. in and give right. me a different lens or someone that they can um, feel safe with because then they don't work with them the next day. Right. Right. Understood. Okay. Hey, gang, stay with us. We're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to be talking with Melissa a little bit more about the step-by-step of the development of her 20% time and um, about ideating and igniting and a number of other things. So stay with us. We'll be back in a second. Within a generation of 25 years, Kamehameha Schools sees a thriving Lahui where our learners achieve post-secondary and educational success. To this end, Kamehameha Schools is proud to share Halau Inana Makapa'akea, an innovation and collaboration space where Native Hawaiian learners converge as a new generation of OEV leaders, innovators, indigipreneurs, and entrepreneurs. The Halau will host and curate various programs, events, and activities that foster OEV leadership development, creative thinking, and problem-solving, innovation, prototyping, and incubation.
we were talking about your about the application to for the innovate for the innovate Hawaii. What was the exact program called? Innovation grants. I the think. innovation grant. Yeah. Okay, and it was more than one hundred and fifty thousand dollars, right? So you explained to me in a in a communique earlier about a step by step process that involved PBL infusion, community partnerships, twenty percent time, and presentations of learning. This sounds like possibly a lot of people had inputs on this step by step. Is that true? It's true, and it's not only a lot of people, but we actually have a roadmap developed at our school. It started five years ago. Wow. So taking taking those little steps, the, the first step, honestly, was um, I was coached by Mr. Daryl Galera, who helped new principals. I was right. a new principal at the time. Daryl is actually, uh, he has his own LLC now, um, oh, and he does leadership right. training for public school um, education leaders. Yeah, so... And, he was mentoring me, and he just happened to mention, he goes, by the way, have you seen this movie called Most Likely to Succeed? Oh, okay. And I was like, no, I'm not seeing this movie. So the uh, my theater high school principal and I actually rented the movie theater in our town in Waimea and showed it. And the outpour of positive responses from my community and my parents, I mean, and my teachers, I had teachers coming up to me going, can we do that? Right. So right. I think that was the initial step probably six years ago. And we've kind of roadmapped it throughout where we met Laura Bain. We go to High Tech High to see things, becoming part of HILN, bringing PBL works to the teachers every year, uh, retooling. It's just this multitude of tiny little steps to build the confidence in teachers to know they can do it and that what they're doing is best for all students. I I think what I'm impressed about here is that you were doing this before the current administration, before Dr. Kishimoto came on board, that you had, you were playing a very long game and it goes back quite a ways. So what, 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 what was that moment back five, six years ago when you started playing that long game? What, what, was there an inspirational moment or a spark moment? The most likely to succeed. That was the moment. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. Well, given this is the What School Could Be in Hawaii podcast series, which is written by Ted Dintersmith, and Ted is the executive producer of Most Likely to Succeed, he's going to be stoked to hear this moment. Oh, and and we, okay, I'm going to brag now. Okay. We had the honor of of Ted coming to our school and spending the day as well. That was so great. So great. My teachers um, did a book study on uh, what schools could be last year which was wonderful and just it, it was inspiring he talked to my community and yeah that film was definitely a definitive step awesome that's awesome to hear so a little bit deeper into Waimea Canyon Middle um, I think I've got this right but your tagline for the school is ideate iterate ignite can you talk a little bit about what that means but also about the process of coming to that tagline I think a lot of schools have a tagline, but I wonder the extent to which the community knows the process that you arrive at that tagline and what it's for. Okay. It's interesting. <laughs> so um, Ideate, Iterate, Ignite. Ideate, Iterate are part of the design thinking process, right? right? So our grant for innovation was a lot about how do we get design thinking out infused with PBL, which yeah. is our current 2.0 version of Ideate, Iterate, Ignite. So it's kind of funny because when you wrote the grant, I'll be real honest, there were only so many words you could put in a block. 
So we hyphenated it and came up with that slogan so that we could get that sense of design thinking in, but it only counted as one word. Got it. Understood. <laughs> right. And they just kind of caught, right? And, so, and, and in what ways has, has that tagline helped bring your community, your entire community together? I think it constantly is is like a little bit of like igniting, right? It's like we're here, we're moving, we want to hear what our students are doing, we're here for them to think about ideas. Uh, if you fail forward, that's fantastic. We're going to iterate that and see what we need to redo, and then it's going to ignite the school right. and the community. And right. Kauai and... Understood. <laughs> so so along the same lines, Melissa, you sent me a, a short film. Um, um, and there are a couple of things that I want to mention about this that were, that were really interesting. One was the soundtrack is a Queen song, oh. uh, Don't Stop Me Now. So that's one thing I wanted to mention. The second thing is that if you watch it, I think it's about four minutes long. What you see are kids working on every kind of thing that you can imagine. You see a lot of smiles you see a lot of engagement, you see a lot of action, but I can hear the skeptics saying, that's nice, but where's the learning? So can you talk a little bit about that and talk to the skeptics out there who are listening to us today? Sure, so, so that video clip that I sent you is a time capsule of what happened last year at the school. So it's a combination of our first semester of design thinking, and then we flip it over to the global goals and everyone's doing a PBL project. Right. Okay, so how do we encapsulate that and include our new staff members and new students, our new sixth graders? So that was made for the staff and students as this is what we did last year. Come on aboard. We're going to continue on further. Right. Um, it's how can you do, advise skeptics? If you think of learning as memorization of facts, right, or passing tests, you're in the mindset of not what is going to happen tomorrow is already currently happening, right? right? The jobs that my sixth and seventh and eighth graders have are not going to need to know all those facts. They can Google it. They can search it, right? They're going to need to be able to communicate. Mm -hmm. They're holding it in their hand with their iPhones. Exactly. Exactly. Phones. You can solve right. a math problem by just taking a picture now, right? Right. So, so do they have those 20th century, 21st century skills? But then on Kauai, we include culture and community in right. those four. Right. So you need to the deeper learning, right? That's the that's the deeper learning part, yeah. right? So um, again, thinking about the skeptics, um, can you let, let's say that my name is James, okay, and I'm a seventh grader, and I'm I've been going through my day at Waimea Canyon Middle, and eighty percent of my day is X, but but the other twenty percent is Y, and Y is twenty percent time. What Describe, literally describe what happens to me, James, as I go into my 20% time each day. Okay. So, James, first of all, remember you had your first choice of what glo global goal you wanted to do. Okay. So all my students get the first choice. What are, what are some of the possible choices? Um, life on land, life underwater, peace and justice, poverty, no hunger. Okay. I'm going to choose peace and justice. Oh, okay. 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 Now what? Okay, so you are linked, you are, are grouped with 6th, 7th, and 8th graders. We mix our grade levels. Wow, we're, we're, I'm going to be mixed in with older and younger. Definitely. Got it. Definitely, okay. who also have that as their number one choice of a global goal. So we have a group oh. of 
I think it was about 22 kids last year in a group that chose peace and justice as their first one. So I and my peers have decided on this thing right. together. That was your What kind choice. of pre-work did I do to, to help me decide on that thing? Um, there were there were a couple of advisory blocks where you were shown the difference. Um, okay, let's go way, way back. First of all, we did hacks with students, administration did, and said, out of these 17 global goals, which are which do you think are the most vital or which which should we keep should we keep them all and they hacked it down to 10 okay then we presented the 10 to students in a survey you had a preview of it in one or two advisories okay. and then you chose your first goal james okay, okay? i did so you're getting very excited <laughs> about this goal by the way <laughs> now you're grouped <laughs> okay. with other students who chose that goal okay. and a teacher then who chose that goal as well oh, and then you it. had the freedom of doing whatever you wanted to do in that so that means that i and my teacher and my peers who've all decided on this are going to be spending 20 percent of our time each day working on that theme exactly in some way shape or form exactly and that particular okay. one was um outstanding you end in presentation of learning where you okay. present to your peers what you've done and mm -hmm. then we had our first hooray exhibition for community two days after that and is there, wow, that sounds really exciting, yeah. the public exhibition. It was wonderful. Can you explain the importance of the public exhibition? So students were it, students were able to present their projects on the 17 goals to community. Okay. And it was during the day, which is hard for my community. I was very happy to have over 150 people come to it. Okay. And it was from a very set time wow. of like 9.30 to 11.15, which is hard for my community. In Waimea, you had 150 people yeah. come to this? Yeah, to see presentation of learnings. Wow. I had the newspaper there. I had people saying, your student could explain how to solve poverty on right. Kauai. Can that girl go talk to the mayor? <laughs> right, right, right. It's like, yes, let's do that, right? So it, it was... it. It was wonderful. The Peace and Justice one actually ended up to be where they successfully merged design thinking with the gold standard PBL. And Community was a tattoo artist who came in, and they developed this huge mural in our brand new space in the library. It was called wow. Ha Waimea. Yeah. And, and, and the theme of that mural, I guess I participated in that, Yes. Um, was, was Peace and Justice. Yes. Um, so let's just go back one step on this. Um, the actual process, it sounds like a lot of hours because you're devoting not 20% uh, uh, once a week, every day. It's every day. Every day, right? So yeah. what was happening in the classroom for me as I went through that experience that led up to the public exhibition? Sounds like there's a lot of activity going on. It's, it's totally student-driven. Okay. So as a student group, you, of course, first bonded with your group because you may not have known the 6th and 7th if you're an 8th grader, right? And then you talked about what were the possible projects. You came to consensus, mm -hmm. and then you worked on your project, your research. There were two other groups that could not do the mural in the library, even though they sought them out and thought it was a go. So they kept iterating, right? right, right. And um, you, you know that you have a presentation of learning deadlines. You have to meet a deadline, and then the exhibition and what's what's um very unique about 20 percent is that it has no grade associated with it mm. because i don't feel i can wow, grade back, your back inquiry to your no gpa yeah i can't grade mm -hmm. your inquiry right and um it's also once again very very student driven wow yeah. and that sounds like you had a community partnership with this mural artist 
Um, they had so there's some non-negotiables in twenty percent. One is that you're going to do a presentation of learning. Right. You are going to participate in exhibition. You do Hanse every day, and that's the last ten minutes of every twenty percent time is devoted to reflection. So everybody has to reflect on their learning. They reflect on um, if they had failures, mm-hmm. what they needed to to make the failure different, and what supports they need for the next day. And also, mm-hmm. if if you wanted to say, well, I'm celebrating because I did this today. Do I, James, have a choice on the way that I reflect at the end of each day, or or is last that... year it was a set form, mm-hmm. right? This year, we're looking at being more creative, which mm-hmm. is one of our goals besides capacity and sustainability, is to have more and more student agency as to mm-hmm. how that looks. And my students are looking more towards probably doing blocks. I, I ask because I'm kind of turned on uh, just recently, as a matter of fact, by an idea that was presented to me by Tony Wagner, who's the co-author oh. with Ted Dentersmith of the book, um, Most Likely to Succeed. He talks about question journals. And I've started one, and now I'm hooked. It took 10 minutes, and then I was hooked. So I would I would think I, James, in a situation like that, would be reflecting with the questions that I'm asking. And it sounds like you're opening the door to, a, to some different ways of, of reflecting, right? We have to. Yeah. We okay. have to. That's why it's a 2.0 this year. Yeah, got right? it. We're going to reflect back on on what we want to perfect, revise, and it's going to be student-driven. Cool. Yeah. So we're coming to, to the end of our time. It's gone by really fast. So I'm going to ask you the same question that I think I want to ask every person okay. who's going to be a part of this podcast. So, Melissa, in the context of, the, of our Hawaii Department of Education's three pillars, if you will, which is intentional school design, teacher collaboration, and student voice, what do you think school could be? What is your answer to that question if somebody popped it to you? Like, hey, Melissa, what could school be? What is your response to that? So my vision would be that I have my incoming sixth graders demanding that they're taught through PBL. This is how we learn. This is how we need to do it. And then during the three years, I have collaboration between sixth, seventh, and eighth graders to build relationships and I'd like my eighth graders to defend their learning. And part of that defense was, can I publicly present and talk? Which doesn't sound monumental, but I, I, it's, it's tricky sometimes, yeah. right? Can I make eye contact? Can I defend my point of view? And can I write an argument? And then I can move on to other mm-hmm. steps. And I'm, I'm hopeful and... PBL is going to have to roll over to high school, and even in the sense of they, if they want to call it academies, and you have an internship out for six months in a field, it's it's what is best for students. Right, got it. That's awesome. We're gonna we're gonna do a little bonus moment here at the Uh-oh. very end. I know we've run long, <laughs> oh, um, because and here's here's the reason why. Because when you sent me your bio, the first sentence of your bio um, really jumped out at me. You said that you're becoming public school proud. Can you can you talk about that just I'm for a definitely minute? public school proud. Um, what happened is the more that I looked into innovation in the state of Hawaii, I was actually envious of charter schools because they, it seemed like they had such freedom in it, right? So um, I was determined to somehow bring 20%, to bring innovation, to bring student voice and agency into a standard public school. And I think we're on our way. 
So I am very public school proud. I'm a public school graduate. Both of my children went through the public school system on the islands of Kauai. And um, I think it's a pillar within the United States that everybody should have equal opportunity to quality education. Right? So I tell my teachers when I hire them, you're jumping in the deep end because I'm a poverty school, I'm middle school, and it's, it's way far out rural Kauai where it's super hot. So come on, if you want to join and make a difference for these students, it'd be the most wonderful experience you'll ever have. I, I work at Apple and whenever I sell a Mac to a young person who's actually considering going into teaching, I tell them there is no better moment in the history of Hawaii to join the teaching profession. I really mean that. So I, I appreciate your answer. Melissa Speechens from the principal from Waimea Canyon Middle. Um, it's been a real privilege talking to you today. Thank you for coming in and joining us. Thank you. Coming up on future episodes of the What School Could Be in Hawaii podcast, Moloka'i High School principal, Katina Suarez. Find the What School Could Be in Hawaii podcast in Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, Spotify, and Stitcher, as well as at mltsinhawaii.com. Join the ongoing conversation across social media. Look for Most Likely to Succeed in Hawaii on Facebook, at Educators of Hawaii on Instagram, and at MLTS in Hawaii on Twitter. Tag your posts with hashtag WhatSchoolCouldBe and hashtag DeeperLearning. We want to hear from you. Send your comments, questions, and feedback to mltsinhawaii at gmail.com. If you love this podcast series, please be sure to rate us in your favorite podcast app. And don't forget to write a review. Feel free to share this series with colleagues, friends, and family. We broadcast our interviews on Facebook Live and post them to the Most Likely to Succeed in Hawaii YouTube channel. Your host is Josh Rapoon. Our technical producer and marketing consultant is Ryan Ozawa. Post-production is by Hawk Media Productions, the digital media program at Kealakehe Intermediate School. The editor for this episode is me, May Kanata, under the guidance of Matthew Williams. Learn more at hawkmediaproductions.com. And special thanks to Ted Dintersmith, author and education change agent. Now, off to your next epic project. Class dismissed. <laughs>